Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, welcome back to another podcast, and I, I fear that at the end of this podcast, you might feel a bit miffed about what I'm about to tell you. Hopefully not. I'm going to be talking about something that I've been more or less gravitating toward for quite a few years, and I'll call it the psychology of tough love. And what's tough love? Well, sometimes rather than enabling someone to go on doing, hurting themselves, doing things that are destructive, we, we need to, as someone who is trying to help, someone who cares, we need to sometimes be direct, truthful. We need to not sugarcoat things and sometimes make it a bit uncomfortable, but sometimes we need to get movement. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Will Rogers once said, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. My first rule of thumb is if you find yourself in a hole, you must stop digging. Now, most people who come into therapy have no idea that they can actually stop digging. This is just part of what's, what they feel is happening to them. They feel victimized by their struggles and thereby keep digging the hole deeper and deeper until they wind up in therapy or seeking medication. I can't climb down there and pull them out, but I can provide a ladder, a ladder of understanding. Can't make them climb up the ladder, but I can motivate them to take those steps up each rung. I can encourage them and sometimes cajole them to do what is necessary. And that's the tough part of love that I'm talking about. We can't fall back on just being the warm, fuzzy, all-embracing therapist that just does nothing but reflects compassion and care. Sometimes we need to be directive. And sometimes, as a psychologist, I feel I need to be more the coach, which is why self-coaching. And coaching is motivating. Coaching is getting someone to take that step up the ladder and the next and the next, in spite of the resistance of the habits of insecurity that have dug the hole. So we need to be talking about motivating ourselves to do what is necessary to break the habits of insecurity and to start getting ourselves back on our feet. And I guess the place we can begin at is to realize that anxiety, depression, emotional struggle, they are in fact habits. Now, last week I, I talked about my dislike of the term mental illness, because illness to me connotes catching a cold, a virus, contracting tetanus if you step on a nail. You catch a cold. You catch a virus. You don't catch anxiety. You don't catch depression. So when you use the term mental illness, or even think of yourself as having a mental illness, doesn't that make you feel like you're in the back seat, powerless, helpless? After all, when you catch the flu, you know, there's not much you can do about it except go through that, that ordeal. 
So let's lose that term illness for today. And let's look at emotional struggle as habits. Now, why do I push for this? Well, because primarily, if you treat it like a habit, and we all know about habits, habits are learned, and this is part of our nature to make habits. So once we form a habit, this is now a habit loop in the brain. And these habit loops are resistant to change. So anxiety, depression, emotional struggle, yeah, they're habits, and they are resistant to change, which is why people inevitably may wind up in therapy or taking medication because they haven't been able to undo, or as I like to say, unlearn the habits of anxiety and depression. If it kind of boggles your mind that you could unlearn something that you've learned, well, I can understand that. But, you know, there's a whole science based on this. It's called the neuroscience-based adaptive unlearning that takes place when we begin to neutralize habits. So if we accept, or if you are going to try that on for size and accept the fact that anxiety, depression, and struggle are habits, habits of what? I mean, we know about habits, everyday habits. I remember when I first started driving and I tried to parallel park. It was like, how can one learn all these different turn left, look over your shoulder, three quarters of the way past the... Now it's just automatic. I don't think about it. It's become a habit, a reflex. Zoom, right in the spot. Not the best parker in the world, but, but at least I don't struggle. That has become a habit. Habits make us more efficient. And there are good habits like parallel parking, taking vitamins, seatbelts. And then there are bad habits, not so good habits. Let's call them neurotic habits. And however misguided these neurotic habits may be, they make us feel safe. And if they make us feel safe, then we're going to repeat them. Now, whether these habits actually make you feel safe, take worrying. Does worrying make you feel safe? Let's say you're worrying about whether or not you're going to have a job in six months, or whether or not it's going to rain on your vacation this summer. Does that make you feel safer? Well, yes and no. Because basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to anticipate future events in order to handle those future events. You feel that you're fortifying yourself with the ammunition that's necessary to handle what's going to happen, which may or may not happen. But you feel safer nevertheless, because you're involved in trying to figure out what if this and what if that. That makes you feel like, if I get all these things down, then I'll know. And then if that happens, I'll... So you drive yourself cuckoo. So good control is adaptive. I mean, we want to know if if the pain we're feeling is, in fact, because of something awry in our body, we want to get that checked out. And then there's neurotic control, and that's seeing danger in safe places, reacting to pessimistic anticipations of things that may never happen. You see, unfortunately, your brain doesn't know the difference between real danger and imagined danger, so you're stressing yourself just by putting yourself in an anticipated state of how am I going to handle that root canal? You're stressing yourself. You're putting adrenaline and cortisol. You're... And stress depletes. So there's good control. There's bad control. Neurotic control is trying to control that which has not happened and trying to compensate for the lack of self-trust that we feel. 
Okay, self-trust. Now, you've heard me talk about self-trust quite often. If you don't have self-trust, think of it as a muscle. If you don't have that self-trust muscle, then you're going to feel vulnerable. That's where the habits of control come in. They are trying to compensate for that feeling of vulnerability and the lack of self-trust. So we rely on our habits of control rather than on cultivating and developing our habit muscle of self-trust. And the more we lean on and the more we rely on our controlling strategies, the more the self-trust muscle atrophies. So we wear a belt that may be a brand new belt that just fits just right, but then we add suspenders because what if the belt breaks? You see, so it is really never feeling safe enough. And that's a primary problem with emotional struggle is we never feel safe enough. We always feel a bit out of control and our instinctual survival mechanisms kick into play here and they they do whatever is necessary to feel in control. So if you have some neurotic strategies of worrying, retreating, becoming aggressive, or all these controlling strategies are designed, not consciously, but through serendipitous trial and error as you grew up, they come about because they're compensating that low self-trust. Might be low self-esteem, self-worth, but these are compensatory strategies to make you feel less vulnerable. And this is why when I do therapy, I often encounter resistance. It's always the yes, but. I had one patient a while ago where wherever I would suggest a more adaptive approach to life, he would say yes, but, always coming up with that which would topple the cart. And he says, I know, I know, I always go to the altar of but. Yes, but. Uh, sometimes it's hard to accept that one can take certain risks and trust life, trust self, but no, it's not easy. There's resistance. We cling to our neurosis. We want to become better neurotics. We want our worrying to become more effective. We don't want to have to stop anticipating. After all, it's what makes us feel safe. We just want to be able to sleep at night, not feel stressed. So oftentimes, the suggestion of how to climb out of that hole is met with resistance. I don't want to have to climb up that ladder. Just tell me how to feel better. With any emotional struggle, we wind up on a hamster wheel, just repeating these habituated patterns of insecurity-driven thinking over and over. We're not getting anywhere. If anything, you're digging that hole deeper, but you're not getting out of that hole. I can't stop worrying. Don't you think I've tried? I can't fall asleep at night. I've never relaxed. I can't, I can't, I can't. And if you try to refute that or put more adaptive thinking or try to reframe some of those thoughts, you immediately get, yes, but that resistance. And that's the key that I want you to kind of focus on today is resistance. Because when you try to feel better, when you try to undo or unlearn some of the habits that are driving you or some of the habits that are contaminating your life, understand that it's you against resistance, habit resistance. Maybe the easiest way to think about this would be the resistance that someone feels when they try to stop eating sugar, stop cigarette smoking. When we become addicted or habituated to something, it's very hard to stop doing that. I mean, if I tried to 
start shaving with my left hand with the razor instead of my right hand, I might have a, a quite a struggle looking in the mirror trying to reverse the habit that has in, ensued for most of my life. If I had to have my right hand in a sling and I were forced to use my left hand, I would, I would no doubt experience ongoing resistance, frustration. That's because I am now in the process of initiating a new habit, a new reflex, which if my right arm decides that it wants to take a break, then in time, the old right-handed habit will extinguish and the left-handed shaving will become quite efficient. So we unlearn the negatives. Not In this case, right-hand right shaving is not a negative, of course, but we unlearn those things that are destructive and we don't reinforce them and thereby we start to develop new habits, adaptive habits, habits based on self-trust. So if you're living a life of worry, of doubt, pessimism, negativity, then you've convinced yourself that your neurosis is protecting you. It's not. Now, maybe you don't feel that your anxiety is protecting you, but, but if you think about it, where are those thoughts going? They're trying to anticipate danger. They're trying to worry about how you'll handle things. So if you are convinced that you don't have choice or that you are a victim of illness, psychological illness, or anything else that infantilizes you or makes you feel not in charge of your life, then you need to be challenged because you are in charge of your life. Now, the resistance you may feel comes from what we're saying, the lack of self-trust. And that lack of self-trust is what produces the stubbornness. So as the self-trust muscle atrophies, you kind of stagnate in terms of your emotional development as you rely more on trying to control. And I should be saying over-control life because we, we know that there's good control. But when you try to over-control life because you're not feeling safe enough, that's where we encounter the stubbornness. So living a life of worry, doubt, pessimism, and negativity, maybe you've convinced yourself that your neurosis is protecting you. It's not. The anxious person may be so worried about what may happen and what am I going to do if and what if, what if, what if. Think of a house with fuses in it. If you keep overloading the circuit, overloading it with more and more a vacuum cleaner, a TV set, an air conditioner, keep overloading, overloading, what happens? You blow a fuse. So what the anxious person does, rather than realize, wait a second, I've got to start reducing the amount of wattage that's flowing through my wires and heating them up, I've got to reduce that. No, just the opposite. They run down to the fuse box and put in a bigger fuse. And then the worrying starts all over again. And if the wires heat up again and the fuse trips, and they go run down and put a bigger fuse in. So the cycle, the hamster wheel of anxiety just goes on and on. And with depression, it's just the opposite. With depression, as we start to have thoughts that cascade in that make us feel out of control, we tend to retreat from life. We tend to want to shut down the fuses, shut down the electricity, pull away, withdraw. But as you withdraw, you lose functionality. And with our fuse box analogy, if you if you shut down the electricity coming into the house, then the functionality of the house begins to diminish. So 
habits of insecurity that create struggle, create anxiety, depression, they're not protecting you. They are more or less elusive in that it feels protective, but ultimately you're just replacing fuses or shutting down fuses, but you're not doing anything to eliminate the struggle. Now, as a psychologist, when I work with people, I don't feel I can coddle this attitude of fear, trepidation about change, clinging to the destructive habits of insecurity. I feel it has to be challenged. You know, as children, we grow up physically, but if our emotions get snagged along the way with separations, loss, trauma, then part of the psyche remains contaminated, fixated at that point, and we start to feel more vulnerable. And as that child starts to feel vulnerable, they, through trial and error, inadvertently find things that make them feel safer, let's say worrying, and that young child feels a bit less vulnerable when they start to worry a bit. And these become habits. The more they're reinforced, they follow us through life, they're not going anywhere. Do you think a good parent coddles a stubborn child by saying, oh, I'm sorry, dear, you don't like Brussels sprouts? Perhaps I can make you something that you might like. No, a good parent insists you must learn to eat your vegetables. Now, I'm not necessarily equating therapy with Brussels sprouts, but sometimes it may feel that way. You've got to learn to eat your vegetables. But you can't listen to what I'm calling the child reflex. That's that insecurity-driven, I can't, it's too hard. It's the whining. It's the destructive, insecurity-driven thinking that has you convinced that you are no match for life. So what is immaturity? Psychological immaturity is allowing the child reflex, that in you which has become somewhat stagnant, has evolved in a direction of compensatory behavior, that has evolved in a direction of over-controlling life, rather than courageously living your life. So it is the child reflex that produces what we might call a psychologically immature response to life. And why, why is it immature? Well, because these tendencies, these habits were laid down earlier in life, and they've been following you through your life. Same insecurities. And if you listen to yourself when you moan, groan, whine, get hysterical, you will hear a distinct childlike quality. I can't. It's too hard. What if this happens? And that's what we need to challenge. That's where the tough love comes in. That's where we need to be encouraged to dig our heels in and stand up to the child reflex because you are no longer that child, but you haven't yet gotten to the psychologically mature you yet. And that's where the self-trust muscle comes in. And to get to that self-trust muscle, you can't be feeding your insecurities. You can't be feeding your child reflex because then it's the child reflex that becomes stronger at your expense and your self-trust muscle continues to weaken. Psychological maturity is handling life. The way you handle life is to risk self-trust, to believe in yourself to believe you can handle life. So self-trust is the, the answer. It is the emotional maturity that's necessary. And make that the goal. The goal is to develop self-trust, to 
let life unfold, believing in yourself. You don't have to anticipate every possible thing that can go wrong in your life. You have instincts. You're a survival machine. You've gotten through many, many skirmishes in your life, and somehow you've managed to be here today. Believe in yourself. Let life unfold with the confidence and the maturity that what comes around that corner, you'll handle it. You don't need to be sitting there puddled up wondering what's coming around the corner. Just handle it. Be a little tougher with yourself to believe. Take those small risks. Trust yourself. My grandmother used to have a wonderful expression. You can't stop a bird from flying into your hair, but you don't have to help it build a nest. So when the child reflex is in charge, you're nest building. You're allowing doubts, fears, negativity to go unchecked. Now, maybe you can't stop some of those thoughts from percolating into your mind. Some of them come from a source less than conscious. Okay. But you don't have to add another thought, a nest-building thought. Along this line, I often recommend my ABC technique. Very simple technique. Can't stop a thought from percolating into our mind. That might be the A thought. And it may very well be a neurotic thought perpetrated by that reflex of insecurity. Can't stop that. Not always. Following that A thought is a B thought. Oh, I can't go out tomorrow. And the B thought would be, what if I go out and, and I'm not prepared? And then that would be followed by a C thought. And if I'm not prepared, then he's not going to. So what we do is we, we take that A thought and then we add to it. Now, the A thought is the reflexive thought, but you didn't create that thought. That was percolated up from the realm of insecurity. But at this point, your conscious mind can add a B thought, a C thought, a D thought, and go on with this train of runaway, insecurity-driven thinking. But that's coming from your conscious mind, and that's where you have control. So even though the reflex, that child reflex, may be, as the term connotes, reflexive, which means it's, it's less than conscious, it's an acquired habit. Even though that may come from that realm, that still can be minimized. It still can be unlearned and extinguished and replaced with more adaptive thinking. So the conscious mind needs to step into that ABC thinking and insist on not contributing a D thought, an E thought, all the way to a Z thought. Your conscious mind can do that. But it's not going to happen if you coddle yourself. I can't do it. It's too hard. Mm -mm. It may be hard. There's resistance. But if you know what you need to do, then you need to get tough. You need to realize that you can't go on allowing insecurity to run your life. Insecurity instead of your conscious, healthy, potentially mature self. If you want to take a back seat, then the hole keeps getting deeper and deeper. You need to get behind the wheel. And this is where you need to coach yourself to feel that you do have some conscious potency to reframe the thoughts that are so destructive and that are ruining and ruling your life and start to replace them with the more adaptive, mature, healthy thinking that emanates from self-trust. So I, I do recommend that you, you start out using the ABC technique. And just start finding out that your conscious mind may not want to challenge your A thought to the B thought to the C thought. You, you may find resistance because it's so knee-jerk. 
that you're so used to just flowing unchecked with those runaway thoughts that you're not used to it. It's not familiar. Dig your heels in. Stay tough. Insist on it. Because it's the only way you're going to diminish and extinguish the habits of insecurity. And it's the only way you're going to unlearn these habits enough to be able to institute a more objective, healthy, and mature perspective that will start to eliminate the struggles of your life. Now, I'm planning on going deeper into my tough love approach in upcoming podcasts. But for now, begin to recognize that you're not powerless. Now, just because insecurity has hijacked your thinking, well, maybe it's time to get tough. And if you say you can't, or if you think you can't, well, that's just an excuse. You can. And with that, I would like you to take a look at my website, selfcoaching.net, where you could take a look at the various books I've written and other kinds of things from blogs and articles, etc. But my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, is what we're talking about today. The unlearning, the getting tough, and to reinstitute a more healthy form of thinking based on self-trust rather than on self-doubt, fear, and negativity. So the book is Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you're not powerless. And remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. Let's make it simple together. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Oh.